Welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. I'm a mom, physician assistant, writer, and life coach. Two years ago, I was feeling stuck, restless, overwhelmed, and I felt like I wasn't where I was supposed to be, but I had no idea what that even meant. And the crazy part is my life had turned out pretty awesome, at least on paper, but I couldn't figure out what was wrong or why I felt out of alignment. A series of books and podcasts and conversations changed my life and revealed my next journey one step at a time. My purpose right now is to help you wake up to your soul's purpose by sharing conversations with amazing women who've walked in your shoes. Keep listening and the answers to your next step will come, I promise. We're all here for a reason, and I'll help you figure out what that is so you don't have to waste another minute sleepwalking through your life. I definitely don't have it all figured out, so I'll also share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. So if you've been thinking about hiring a life coach, or if you have no idea what a life coach is, and you're thinking, well, I don't know, I probably need one because I'm stuck, and a lot of what Hope says sort of resonates with me call me. Well, actually, don't call me. Let's let's schedule a time to talk. So you can email me hope.cook at gmail.com or go to my website, coachhopecook.com. And there's a place on there you can schedule a free discovery call. And what I've started doing is offering sort of a mini coaching session for free because so many people don't know what life coaching is. So you have nothing to lose. There's no pressure. So I highly recommend it. I can't even tell you how many messages I got about this first interview with Dr. Jillian Riegert. So when she asked me if I would like to continue the conversation and talk more about burnout, including my own burnout and what to do about it, like how to pivot once you're burned out, I was like, yes, sign me up. Um, So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you didn't hear the first one, I will link it in the show notes. Um, Dr. Jillian Riegert works in oral medicine, um, and she is also a dentist. So I hope you enjoy hearing her story. If you didn't hear the first one, please go back and listen. Welcome back, Jillian. Thanks for coming back for part two. Absolutely. I'm so glad to have part two of this discussion. Yeah. So we were talking, y'all, about steps that you can take once you realize you're burned out because Jillian talked a lot about how she knew she was burned out and um, sort of how she pivoted and left the oral surgery residency program. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back. I'll link it in the show notes. But we also wanted to talk about how to take steps once you realize, oh crap, I'm burned out. And it's not a one-time thing. I mean, this could happen over and over, at least it has in my situation. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely been true for me too, especially um, one thing I was bringing up is steps that maybe we took that weren't the best, um, Mm. particularly in a society that, you know, I think um, one thing I'm always asked is like, what did burnout look like for you, especially because it's not a a diagnostic uh, it's, there's no diagnosis for it. That's formalized in Mm -hmm. what we call the DSM. So a psychiatrist doesn't really have checklists that they can say, oh, this is what you're experiencing. And burnout may look like different things to different people. Yeah. Um, You know, I was interested to hear from you kind of what were the things you were noticing in your own journey Hmm. that you were thinking, "Mm, something just doesn't feel right. 
didn't care as much. And this sounds awful, um, but I went from being a perfectionist at work to not caring as much about going above and beyond. So an example would be like a rash. I'm not sure what it is. Um, you know, I would do a biopsy, of course, and see the patient back. But the non-burned out hope would email, you know, several people who are several providers in the office, see what they think. I would look it up. Um, you know, I would just kind of go above and beyond, do a lot of research on it. And instead, I'm just like, well, I'll wait and get the biopsy back. So, <laughs> yeah. And what you're saying is it's always been uh, one of the markers that apathy or that uh -huh. increased empathy. And especially if it's not characteristic, you're like, ooh, this doesn't feel in alignment with how I typically present to the world. And it, interestingly enough, too, what I find is our, our intense empathy is typically a very high risk factor for mm. developing burnout. You know, that people pleasing, always going above and beyond, it yes. really spread us thin. Um, so we're, it, yeah, it is interesting. Sorry, we're human givers. Isn't that what um, the two sisters who wrote the book on burnout, I can't think of their names, but anyway, they talk about the human giver syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, I can relate to that too. And it was just kind of like, going through the motions. Like it was no longer feeling that sense of being able to thrive, mm -hmm. but questioning whether or not we could even survive. Yeah. Yeah. And I would take it out on my family. So I was a lot snappier, like quicker to yell at my kids. Um, marriage was not that great. I mean, all the areas just started sort of going downhill. You know, I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to get together with friends. Um, and then the guilt was huge. Like, why do I feel this way? My, you know, I should be grateful. I should be whatever. Um, and then you're just not. So it, it kind of compounds the problem. And overeating, you know, we talked last time about your eating disorder. And I definitely used that anxiety that I felt and that burnout to eat more and eat crappy food. And, you know, normally I eat pretty healthy, but that's sort of a telltale sign of when things aren't going well mentally, then I start uh, making poor food choices. Yeah, I think that's such a great uh, kind of perspective because what I have learned is that eating disorders are very misunderstood. And if we're dealing with anxiety and depending on the way that our brain copes and uses food to cope, it could look like increased intake differences in the type of food that we're gravitating towards or it could be reduced intake. Um, for me, with a restrictive eating disorder, for me, it looked like I had so much anxiety that eating food was increasing my anxiety and I didn't develop an apathy for sustaining my own life. Mm. And so not to be um, deep into the darkness, but what I associate food with was this will nourish me and sustain life. So when I had developed such a strong apathy, that definitely showed up as I didn't no longer care to nourish myself um, that strong of like, I don't even have empathy for my own, my own personal wellness. God, it's so scary. Now, do, are you kind of on the lookout for it? Like, do you see the signs if, if you start, um, noticing any of those things with food? Yeah. It, it's interesting too, is I found that, um, the things that we talk about and what did well for recovering from burnout and what didn't go so well and why I've taken such drastic steps 
towards kind of pivoting in my career is I went from being burnt out in surgery and being in the military to being discharged. It was October 29th, 2017, October 30th, I started a new residency. And this is what I think is societal cultural pressures meets trying to burn out from, uh, trying to recover from burnout and what Mm -hmm. I would have done you know, differently had I not been alone and had I mentally had the resources to pause. Um, Because what I think I did a disservice in my own recovery journey was that I tried to power through and work through burnout and that did not work very well. And, And so my eating disorder behaviors continued and were very pervasive as I was on survival mode again to make it through residency number two because I was not willing to pivot again and also wasn't yet at the stage to acknowledge that rest was the answer that Mm. grinding through was not the answer yeah and so that did end up beating me in the butt because I finished residency and then I went straight to an attending level and it wasn't a great fit the culture wasn't one that I could heal Uh, was a lot I went from having some work hour modifications to help me to recover to full-time, mostly full-time faculty. And this was right before COVID happened. And that's when I noticed the eating eating disorder behaviors, it kind of felt like I woke up one day and was really deep in the woods. So I didn't, I didn't have that insight at that time, but now we fast forward and it's been about a year. And, and through that experience of not making the right steps, I've, did a 180, you know, I joined Wayfinder and that was a very structured program to help me identify getting more connected with my body. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole body compass we talked about a little bit She's, last time. Jillian's talking about the Wayfinder life coaching program, but if you're like, I don't think I want to do that. I highly recommend reading like Martha Beck's book, Finding Your Own North Star. It sort of talks about how to get in touch with what you're feeling in your body. Because that's where I started was exactly what you said. I really felt connected to what Martha Beck was putting out there as a, her own healing journey. Uh, and that was how I found Wayfinder in the beginning. Yeah. But Julian, what do you tell people when they, so you're saying you, if you had known what you know now, you would have probably taken some time to recover from burnout before hopping into the next thing. But what about people who are like, my boss is not going to like give me several weeks or a month off, you know, what do that, what do they do? They have to pay the bills. That was the hard part that I got into because I'm an independently funded person. That's very self-reliant for an income. Um, and mine was a life or death situation, which I don't hope is anyone, but at some point you just have to say one, is it true? Because Mm -hmm. we have a lot of financial anxiety in our society perpetuated by that scarcity mindset Yeah. So really getting into what is the reality of my finances? What is the reality? How can I shape it in a way that um, will allow me to get the rest? Because in reality, like, did I need to start a residency the next day? Likely not. I think that I chose to do that because I wasn't yet ready to face the grief of losing every, like the whole career that I had set myself up to have, which was military Um, Air Force oral surgery. And I had just been grieving the loss of an ex-boyfriend and some other people that were close to me. So in that instance, when I was making the decision, um, 
I just wasn't ready to face and to process um, everything that had been going on. And so if, if that person can take a step back and truly identify what's true and what might be a thought error, um, mm-hmm. then that's what I would identify. And, and your support systems, like what are my valuable support systems? And the other thing I identified, what you're saying about the boss. So there are some work environments that are more supportive than others. When I was in the oral surgery program, it was people first. So it was not questioned that I needed Hmm. to take medical leave. It was not made, I made myself feel bad about it, but my program did not in terms of my program director. That's great. Yeah. And you know, another thing is um, I remember my husband asking me, this was probably, I don't know, seven years ago, the first time I experienced burnout. And he said, can you see yourself doing this in five years, you know, like still being burned out, still working at the same place. And I was like, no, I can't see me staying here and doing this for another six months. And so he's like, well, there's your answer. Like, why, why aren't you doing something about it now? But you feel so helpless and you can't, it's like you have blinders on and you just can't see any options. Mm -hmm. So I definitely relied on my therapist to sort of open my eyes and help me see that there were other options. Um, did you, did therapy play a big part in your burnout um, yeah, recovery? Yeah, absolutely. And I have a Kevin MD article called burnout recovery permission to pivot. And I speak exactly to what you say when I was deep into depression from burnout um, or, you know, we call it burnout. Now at that time, I just was knew my mind was not mentally functioning very well. I could only think of two options, which were to continue with my oral surgery program that I committed to, or I was going to end my life. It was a very severe um, limiting belief that I had and mm-hmm. a reality in my brain. And it took another person to say, what is another option? Like my mind was not thinking that way. And so I am a strong advocate at the early stages of burnout to certainly get mental health support. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever that means for you. I mean, I also have PAs I talk to and they're like, I can't um, take the time to see a therapist. I can't, you know, there, there's all these can'ts, mm-hmm. but you have to, I mean, you are going to become incapacitated with burnout. So you have got to, you know, I found a therapist on um, online. So she has evening and weekend hours. So you can always brainstorm and figure out a way to get what you need, but you may need other people to help you see those options. Yeah. And and to truly sit with yourself and say, what's true and what is my mind telling me? Mm -hmm. What is the reality here? And I didn't really know how to do what you're talking about, like question your thoughts Mm -hmm. until I read Byron Katie's work, um, Loving What Is. She's got quite a few books, but this is one thing, y'all, that we learn in life coaching and it's, um, and it sounds like you were saying you're lying, your thoughts are lies. What were, (laughs) that's what I thought the first time I read that book, but what it's really saying is like your thoughts may not necessarily be true, but you're so, you're so married to them, stuck to them, clinging to them, that you can't imagine them not being true. Mm -hmm. Um, And you really have to have somebody else sort of walk you through the process of questioning your thoughts. I don't even think that I'm truly recovered from burnout. I feel like I've taken the necessary steps to move forward and to start realizing what was going on. 
Um, but when I got my dog Reese, I was not, I was going through the motions still. And this was during my second residency and bringing him into my life really got me out walking, got me out meeting people again. And mm. not to say everyone should get a dog because it's not the case, but having things in your life that kind of allow you to take a break from all the pressures of work, all the thoughts. And again, with what you were mentioning, yeah, our thoughts may, may not be telling us the truth. They're not lies. They are our reality. And they're often based off of our previous experiences and societal views, societal pressures. Um, if you're religious, it might have some religious um, beliefs that are embedded and it's part of, you know, what, what your values are and just identifying like what is serving you, what is no longer serving you uh, is a valuable exercise. Mm-hmm. We could even do like a sample of the work if you want to. Yeah, putting me on the spot. <laughs> well, thing- I don't mind. I don't mind having the the thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say the one thing about the work is we could do it at a very superficial cognitive level, and if people are going through the work and have some unprocessed trauma or some very deep rooted beliefs, yeah, that's why I like um, Martha Beck's approach to Byron Katie. I feel that you could take it meet the person where they're at without really pressing into something that needs therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. Because as we are coaches, we are always identifying like there's a, you know, a very fine line sometimes when it comes to a thought that would be better served by a therapist or one that's really within our realm of coaching. Yeah, that's a good point. You have to know your limits um, and know when to refer somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can do So a lot of things let's talk about the finance thing here for a second, because this is my limiting belief. Yeah. And if you want to do the work on it, it can be more of like a a more superficial level thing. We're not getting into that deep therapy level (laughs) work here. So I don't have enough money. To quit or just, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money. That's a common limiting belief. And, And we could go into more detail. Um, on specifics, but if it's a certain circumstance, if whoever's listening can put, put whatever circumstance applies to themselves is I don't have enough, enough money to blank, whatever there is in their mind. That's a good one. Okay. So, um, yeah, I want you to think of a situation in which you believe that thought. So get it in your mind, sort of visualize what's going on. When was the last time you had that thought or a situation where you were like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough money or I don't have enough time off or I don't have enough whatever um so you got that in your head Jillian yep mine will be I don't have enough money and it's usually if I want to do I'll speak out loud for for people that are thinking um but again replace my circumstance with one that's true to you is I don't have enough money to sign up for this program that I really want to do okay that's a good one yeah and, and like I said, y'all, you could think of, you know, I don't have enough time to exercise. I don't have enough, don't do anything traumatic. Um, Cause obviously if you're driving in the car, we can't help you. <laughs> no, nope. well, I don't have enough money to take time off my, from my job. I don't have enough money to go on that vacation that I desperately am craving. Yeah. I don't have enough money to go do a fun activity. Like I don't have enough money. That's such a common thought. I don't mm-hmm. have enough. Yeah, it is. 
All right. So in your case, it was like, I don't have enough money to sign up for this life coaching program. Mine was a coaching program. I just signed up for that's coaching for myself. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah, think about this situation, what you were thinking, what you were feeling in your body. And I want to ask you, Jillian, is that thought true? I don't have enough money for this program. No. Okay. And sometimes people will say, yes, it's true. Like I have $50 in my bank account, but in her case, she's like, eh, no, it's not entirely true. Um, and Julian, I'm going to ask you if you have anything to write with, write it down. If you don't, oh, you got it. Good. Okay. I don't have enough money to do this coaching program or to sign up for coaching. Okay. So is it true? She says not, no, not necessarily. Yeah. And at this point, I would say you would want to press me and say yes or no. Yeah. Yes or no. Is it true? Mm -hmm. And you said no. no. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, yeah, my next question is when you believe this thought, I don't have enough money to sign up for this coaching. Tell me how you are in that situation. Yeah. When I usually have the thought, I don't have enough money. I'm usually finding that I am not valuing myself. I don't think I'm worth the program. So therefore I don't think I have enough money or the money I don't feel is well spent if it's spent on me. Hmm. So I'm feeling quite deflated. Yeah. And how do you feel in your body when you believe the thought, I don't have enough money to sign up for this coaching? Um, I feel very restricted in my emotions and pretty down. Yeah. And how do you treat other people like your friends or coworkers or family when you believe the thought, I don't have enough money to sign up for coaching? I feel I don't show up as my best self. So I don't give them everything I think I could. Um, I usually will prioritize and spend money on other people much before I would spend it on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does show up in when I get very anxious about money, um, it would show up in trying to save money. And I feel like that's out of alignment with how I want to present, which would be somebody that's quite giving. Mm -hmm. Give me an example of what that would look like. Like when you said you spend money, you don't mind spending money on other people, but. Uh, Yeah. Well, speaking of my dog, that's certainly trying to invite myself himself here is it's very easy for me to not easy, but I don't stress out as much about he's a cockapoo and getting him groomed or my coping skill used to be getting him toys. So now my whole apartment looks like only a dog lives here. (laughs) You know, and it's something that brings him such happiness or spending money on gifts for my nieces for Christmas or things like that. And of course, those are smaller items when it comes to overall expense. But if if one of my family members were to say, I need this program for the benefit that I'm perceiving it for myself, it would be much easier for me to spend that same amount of money on someone else. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You're not giving yourself the same permission that you would give somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah. Can you think of any reason to hold on to this thought? I don't have enough money to sign up for coaching that doesn't lead to suffering. You know, I held on to the thought for a while um, when I'm, if you were to have asked me, is, is this true? I would have thought yes, because um, I did go through a circumstance where I didn't make a lot of income. So it would be a high percentage of the income that I have made for the year, given my um, 
my break in, in work over the, over the past year. Um, and so there were some parts of me that thought it might be rational to hold on to that thought. Yeah. Well, let's examine how your same situation, you still are thinking about signing up for the coaching. You, you still um, have the same amount of money, but let's pretend to take away that thought. I don't have enough money to sign up for coaching. So nothing has changed except you don't have that thought. Mm -hmm. So tell me how you would show up in this situation then. I'd be very excited to start the program without reservation, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And I think our listeners are probably thinking, well, how could you be excited if you didn't have the money? But what we're saying is you don't have the thought that you don't have enough money. Mm -hmm. So how would you treat other people if you didn't have the thought, I don't have enough money to sign up for coaching? You know, I like to step back and think when other people have that belief, is it true, right? Because we're again, not saying sometimes it is true. And what does that mean? So I, if I'm not having the thought that I don't have enough money because I've surveyed the scene, right? And evaluated the reality of it, that would be the same um, sort of support I would provide to somebody else. No pressure to say, is it true or not? Do I have enough money? And is the program worth the money that I do have? for me. Yeah. Yeah. And how would you treat like your coworkers if you didn't have believe the thought or you didn't have access to the thought, I don't have enough money to sign up for coaching. Um, I would, I think it's been very helpful to have, to not have that thought because coaching for me has been very helpful in mitigating burnout uh, in my new career. And so by doing it, I think it brings, it helps me to show up the way I want to show up because I'm doing something that I know helps to keep me away from the same um, issues that I had yeah. been experiencing prior. That's, that's a good point. Cause if you end up burned out again, you're not going to be any help to your coworkers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and it's been very helpful, you know, in our own coaching to, feel like where are my limiting beliefs and so I can see if I invest in this program how much further can I take it because there's been circumstances where I don't feel like I feel uncomfortable in my current role and what is that is it because I'm in the wrong role or is it because I'm afraid I'm going to get burnt out again and I notice some hypervigilance and in doing coaching I was able to identify what was true to my current circumstances what wasn't and if it was true to my current circumstances, how can I work with that and change rather than that fixed belief of, oh, this is my current circumstance and it will always be that way or project prior experiences onto my current circumstances without challenging them. So that was a very complicated way of saying the coaching tools that I have already started to develop have helped me to really step back. Question, is this true? And if this is true, how do we move forward without getting caught in that spiral of mm -hmm. it's going to be the same as it always has been? Yeah. Does it feel different in your body if you don't have access to that thought? I don't have enough money to sign up for coaching. Yeah, it feels much more free. Mm -hmm. So then we do what's called a turnaround. It's like a brain puzzle. And so we take that same thought, whatever thought you're having, I don't have enough money to sign up for coaching. And we see what the opposite of that statement looks like. And then we ask ourselves, could that be true? So Jillian, what would be the opposite of, I don't have enough money to sign up for coaching? 
uh, I do have enough money to sign up for coaching. Yeah. Now is, can you think of some examples where you might have enough money to sign up for coaching? Yeah. Depending on the, the extent of the program. Um, and if I have the resources or the potential to create money by working more, um, if it's in my bank account and I'm just afraid, like, what is my insecurity with spending money? Um, if I can appreciate the return on investment, that helps me to identify if I have enough money to make that a valuable investment for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all those thought processes, um, and of course, evaluating the reality. My reality is I am a single human that has no dependents and except for my dog and had saved a lot of money in a situation where I was not sure about when my next paycheck would come in. Mm -hmm. um, so I developed a lot of anxiety about spending money at that time. But now that I do have a stable career and I need to develop confidence in myself that even though I have a career now, like the reality is we are always at risk for changes in our profession and I'll be okay. Yeah. So it's helped me to release that anxiety of, okay, not only will I be okay, but this program will ensure that I will have the tools to be okay. And without it, I'm more concerned that I would not be able to recover from a similar circumstance that I've experienced before. So that's yeah. where that return on investment was like, yes. Yeah. So what we're doing now is, is sort of brainstorming. So I asked Jillian um, to give me examples of where it could be true that she does have enough money to sign up for coaching. So she may come up with um, sort of funny stuff like that really is, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense to everybody, but she may say, I could sell that leather sofa that I have. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, and the point is not that she's actually going to sell her sofa. <laughs> the point is she does have options. So it's just to sort of create this little crack in your brain that you can start seeing possibilities. Yeah, the reality is I sold everything I owned, to be honest, and it was great. But that's not, I mean, that was very eccentric in my um, <laughs> actions, but it was so great because what we do realize is that we, we do have resources and we can, things that I was holding on to, like when I chose to lean into what would really help me recover from burnout, which at the time was to remove myself from a clinical situation that was no longer serving me, that was strongly perpetuating my burnout, that was putting me in a situation where I was not well. So I was in therapy and not recovering because I was on survival mode. I took the chance that I could lean into a period of no income. And in order to get through that thought, of like, oh my goodness, I'm here on my own with no income. I had a lot of negative beliefs where I got into a very scarcity mindset with money that I didn't want to spend anything while selling everything I owned. So here's where the pause could have happened and say what really needs to be sold. You know, like if I look back, I'm glad that I did sell everything that I did sell because it was creating a lot of stress, the homeownership. Um, I owned a, a older condo and everything was kind of breaking at one time. So I was selling the stress of that condo. I wasn't just selling it for money. I was selling it because I was trying to give myself the opportunity to recover and I could see the things that were weighing me down. Yeah. And we see this where one breakthrough, like, you know, you had no idea that getting out of that condo would declutter other areas of your life, but yeah. mm -hmm. you get one breakthrough and then it kind of leads to another. So 
um, yeah, any other examples of how you do have enough money to sign up for coaching? Any other creative ideas? Yeah, I try to get Reese on the payroll. He likes to like, you know, help people with all the landscaping. Um, <laughs> Reese again, my dog. So my dog Reese is really goofball. He, um, he used to jump on everybody's golf carts when I first got him. He loved like the, the maintenance, uh, the individuals that perform maintenance in our community would always let him ride in the golf cart. So I always try to get him on the payroll. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing is that I work multiple jobs for no income. And this was a limiting belief. Like I felt I didn't deserve to be paid. And I thought a step back was this coaching program meant so much for me that I advocated for compensation that I had deserved oh. like a long time before that. So it, it showed me that I could step it up. Like I should be compensated for work. I right? love that. You wanted yeah. it so bad that you were finally willing to say, you know what? I should be compensated for my job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that. that silly that anyone would, I mean, we do, especially as I won't be sexist, but as females, like I was put in a position where I was made to feel bad about asking for compensation. And then I joined a group of female physicians that had been in similar circumstances. And I just voiced my current circumstance, trying to like, you know, I was a little emotional about it. I was like, this is just what happened. And they normalized the experience, but also normalized advocating for compensation. Like yes. this is a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. And in using my voice, no matter what the outcome, it was a step forward for me because I was like, I am now advocating for my value and in advocating for my value in order to actually achieve the outcome that I'm seeking, I need to believe in myself mm -hmm. because there's like the quote that the world reflects back on, on you, the value that you have for yourself or something along. It's probably much more eloquently stated than I just did. Yeah. But it's been so true. I'm like, I am showing up into the world as if I don't have enough money is if I don't deserve to have enough money. And I'm like, if I change the mindset that yes, I do have enough money, I can create enough money. I can ask for the money that I should already be getting paid in order to do something. Like if this coaching program wasn't as meaningful for me, those thoughts may not have necessarily been something that I would have challenged yeah. with such great breadth of, you know, mm -hmm. and commitment. We could have, and that's a good thing to bring up about coaching and about, just even therapy, you know, um, sometimes in therapy, especially in burnout, we just have to show up, just keep showing up. You might be so exhausted that that's all you can do is show up. So yeah. when it comes to therapy, I would highly recommend just keep showing up. Don't expect, you know, you don't have to put a high expectation in yourself, but when it comes to coaching, um, some people say, well, you know, I'm not sure about coaching and we're not here to press anybody. You know, I, I wanted to talk to hope about coaching because it's <laughs> such a, huge piece of my burnout recovery. It's really propelled me forward, but we're certainly not here to solicit anyone um, in terms of like pushing people into something when they're not ready, but to, to be somebody that's benefited from so much, it would be such a detriment not to share the value. And if you believe in something and you've seen it work and you felt the experience in your own transformation and you show up to coaching, I'm like, it just can do wonders for your life. Yeah, I was telling Jillian um, before we started recording that I had a co coaching practice call with a um, classmate today and I happened to pick a parenting issue 
um, because I struggle with that. And one of my beliefs is, you know, I've lost control of my kids or, or, I mean, I have so many around parenting. And so we worked on that and, um, and the universe delivered the perfect scenario with as soon as I got really while I was on the call, the kids were yelling at each other and somebody tackled somebody else and called somebody a name and it was just a hot mess. Um, but anyway, I normally would have lost it, like yelling at them and uh, just letting it ruin my day. And instead I said, you know what, I'm going to go for a walk and I don't have to punish you right away. I'm going to go for a walk and I'll be right back. And my daughter's screaming, no, don't go. And I did, I did it for myself and I worked on my thoughts while I was gone. And I came back with a clearer head. <laughs> yeah. And when you say you work in your thoughts, what did that sound like? Oh my gosh. At first it was painful. You know, I, I was saying, um, my kids are out of control. My kids are out of control. <laughs> and then I asked myself, is that true? It's not a hundred percent true because they're not always out of control. There are times when they're not out of control. It was just, you know, one afternoon. And um, so then I walked myself through the questions, you know, how do I, how do, how am I when I believe that thought? I'm a crazy person. I'm yelling at them. I'm thinking that I'm a horrible mother, I'm, you know, all these things. So I went through those questions in my head. Um, and when you're talking about those questions, specifically the Byron Katie. The yes. Word, yes. Just in case anyone's like, what questions are you, what and secret you, juice do you got? Yeah. And you can Google that the work by Byron Katie, B-Y-R-O-N. And um, anyway, it walks you through these questions and that you feel silly answering them, but they, open up a window in your brain that you did not even know was there and it really helps you see things in a different way um so yeah coaching has been huge for me and I would have signed up for the program even if even if I never made a dime off coaching anybody the benefit that I've gotten has been huge yeah that's exactly my motivation for signing up I say you know I'm here to transform my own life and when we live it to give it, we bring the people along with us. And, you know, I think you live it. You definitely embed it into the way you present as a host and just in talking, no matter what we're doing. So I strongly appreciate the opportunity. It would have, I never would have been connected with you. you know, I know. Made that choice. And when you're thinking about the benefit of therapy versus coaching, can you tell us a little bit more about the comparing and contrasting of those for you? Hmm. Gosh, I've had a lot of therapists over the years. <laughs> I think if you're in a really dark space, um, I think you need therapy first. Um, I mean, you could do coaching too. We have a lot of cool tools that help sort of change your perception of things and help give you um, a vision for how you can move forward. Um, therapy that, you know, they can do a lot of deep work, especially if you had childhood. I mean, we all had childhood issues, but if you had childhood trauma, it can play a huge role in that. Um, like Jillian, you had anorexia have, I don't know, do you say have or had? Um, typically it would be have and yeah. it's different stages. And, and I use that. I do subscribe to that because it does creep up. I'd be considered impartial remission right now. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, yeah, I think you probably need a therapist. Wouldn't you agree if you have? Yeah, I think, I think for me, um, the therapist has been really good in understanding where I might have some thoughts where I, where I was limited with the therapy that I was doing was that it was so 
um, backwards thinking that I got, sometimes I just ruminated so much about the issues I was having in my thought process versus where the combination of therapy and coaching is that the coaching said, okay, these are your thoughts. Here's how to move forward. And that can be done in therapy. And, you know, it's, I question whether or not I was just so depressed that I didn't have the capacity to think forward um, at the time. And if that's a true reality, that's where coaching might have limited um, capacity to help at that moment. Uh, but that coaching forward thinking, like you're functioning, it's usually we think you're functioning and you can function better versus mm -hmm. like, I'm not functioning, then that's where therapy really focuses on that. Like, where can we support you? Yeah. If you're going through grief, I think you may do better with therapy in the early stages. Um, and then move on, you know, look into coaching, but again, we're not, um, this is not just a big advertisement. So we wanted to also just talk to you about burnout, kind of the steps that we took. Um, Julian, did you do anything else? Like physically, did you start, you know, looking at your body and what would benefit that as far as movement or yeah. So the first thing with society in general, um, if you have trauma, if you just have been so busy in your life, or if you have an eating disorder, like I do, sometimes it's very common to completely dissociate from yourself, from your body. Um, and I had issues with restriction and moving too much. And in order to start, you know, people always say like, what's the best diet and exercise? And I'm like, mm. oh gosh, this is not where to start. You start with relationship with self. Because once I started to really connect with myself, The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck was a solid book for me. I love it. Because I had realized where in my life I had taken paths that others had designed for me and pressured me into, despite my heart being like, well, not really for me. And so taking that pause, step back and reflection was often painful. I'm not saying it's a pleasant experience all the time because we do process some deep-rooted feelings that we may not have processed before. Mm -hmm. But in connecting with my body, that's when I realized I started trauma-based therapy. And that's been helpful because it can get quite overwhelming if your body starts to process deeper to trauma. Um, and the reason, you know, you're talking about certainly not a plug for coaching, but coaching has been such an important component. Like if I had never found coaching, I just feel like I would have kept circling the toilet bowl because I would just... <laughs> You know, I didn't have any more new tools. Yes. I love DBT though. Like DBT is another thing where you work on your, um, your emotional processing and your, the way that you show up, there's a lot of the mindfulness. What does, that's been helpful. What does that stand for? Dialectical behavioral therapy. So if you think of the thought work we're doing, that's called CBT, like the cognitive behavioral therapy. You might be used to that from one-on-one -on -one therapy sessions where DBT is more emotionally based mindfulness. Um, and I'm not a DBT or CBT trained therapist. So I'm saying it from a very like mm -hmm. general, this is probably not, they can certainly define it better than I'm doing right now, but it really harnesses, like we are emotional beings. This is how it might show up. This is how to harness your emotions better and also re, um, respond in a more mindful way. Because if we're overly emotional, we might just start to react, 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 rather than take a pause and respond to what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing I would say, y'all, you've got to get quiet enough to figure out what's going on inside of you. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that was yoga and meditation, but you know, it could be sitting in a therapist office or taking long walks, but you, like Jillian was saying, a lot of people have trouble 
knowing what they feel. They're so disassociated, dissociated or disassociated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we get it, right? Dissociated, dissociated, yeah. Yeah, they're they're living out of their outside of their body. Um, so part of it is like, what do you feel? Where do you feel it? Describe it. You know, Brene Brown has a whole list of words that she says that you should be able to say. I'm disappointed. I'm confused. I'm, you know, more than just frustrated. And where do you feel it in your body? Yeah, for sure. And and we talk about some people that do podcasts on fibromyalgia or chronic pain talk a lot about unprocessed emotions or trauma mm-hmm. coming out like that. And, you know, at some point people might be resistant to hearing that because it sounds like a little bit of woo-woo. And, but I, I had chronic neuropathy and so that's pain in your nerves and it's that deep burning sensation. And I'm, uh, my primary, um, profession was dentistry at this time that it's it developed after an injury in the air force. And I couldn't hold a drill and it would hurt really, really bad. Yeah. And when I was anxious, I'd get anxious about the pain. And then that would lower my pain threshold, which would make the pain worse. And I would just chronically be in this state of anxiety. And if the pain was chronic, it would increase my anxiety, which would further make my pain worse. So in, in a lot of the pain-based treatment, I've had to learn to control my breathing and my anxiety to control the pain. So if people have chronic pain, chronic GI issues, um, just physical manifestations of high stress, like can't sleep. Um, yeah, sleep is a huge one. Y'all, if you're not sleeping, there's a reason. I mean, mm-hmm. unless you have like a husband who snores or a cat who's jumping on the bed, but yeah. if you're really waking up with anxiety at 2am, there is a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your what were your steps when you realized your burnout? You know, you talked to your husband. He said, you got to make changes now. What did your next steps look like? So the first time I left the job, um, it was it was more than just burnout. I could see the writing on the wall like a year before that, just that it wasn't a good fit anymore. Um, but I was, I didn't think I had any options. And I ended up figuring out a way to make it work. You know, I had to get to that point where it was so bad that I was like, I'll do anything. And then that's when the universe was like, here, here's a satellite office you could work at. And so that worked out. Um, and then maybe two years later, um, I found myself burned out again. And it was, um, you know, it started off with increased workload. We had two um, providers out on maternity leave, which meant we were seeing more patients and it just crept up on me. And um, yeah, I was dreading Sunday, Sunday nights. I was, my mood was low. I was anxious, couldn't sleep. Um, What did you, did you ask me what my signs were? (laughs) I can't remember. Yeah, the signs and the next step. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, what did I do? Yeah. So the first time I left the job, the second time um, I talked to my office manager and I felt like such a weakling, you know, I remember like I had tears in my eyes and I remember my voice was shaky and I was like, I think I'm burned out. Um, and looking back, I, I, I feel bad for myself, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I, I feel bad that I got to that point where I was ashamed to admit that I was burned out. Um, and, you know, I, I would say in my head, like, well, the other providers are having to work just as hard as I am. Like, why, why am I the one that's in here crying and saying I'm burned out? Um, and he was shocked. I don't think he had a, a clue that I felt that way. And um, it turns out a couple of the other providers were also feeling that way. Um, so it felt good that, I, you know, 
me coming forward helped them speak up too. And they met with each of us and asked what would be a more sustainable number of patients to see. Like, we want you here long-term, like what would make this your forever job? Like, how can we help you? Um, and that made a huge difference, just knowing that they were willing to work with me and, and that they didn't want to lose me. They weren't like, you're fired. <laughs> yeah, and you hit on such a great comment about, we always often, one, I heard the judgment, right? We're yeah. going to judge ourselves for whatever. And that's a limiting belief that would strongly be brought up in therapy, coaching, conversation with spouse, whatever, just to say, this is what I'm thinking. Um, because we often place internal judgment on what we think others will perceive us. It's kind of that mind we, we want to project um, on mind reading, right? Yeah. We want trying to guess what they're thinking about is often not embedded in reality. And then that feeling that everyone is functioning better than me or everyone looks like they're doing well. So one situation for me is I was diagnosed with high functioning depression. And it was because I was trying to preserve all my energy to save face in my work. So people couldn't see my struggle. If I'm doing that, who else is doing that? Most of us. Yeah. Right. And, and then we may be doing that without noticing we're doing that because we are trying, like I was in the military. I thought if I'm honest with myself, like, what would that mean for my career? And so I, you know, in reflecting back years later, I'm wondering if that was like a self-preservation to say, like, I don't want to lose my career. I'm hoping this will just end, like that this will just um, go away, not end in a negative sense, but go away as in relief. My brain won't feel this bad, but it doesn't go away. It did not go away for me until I took a step back and breathe and like really intentionally considered what was impacting me and what would it look like to get relief uh in a healthier way yeah yeah no for it's it's so true and um I remember actually looking up my long-term disability policy and I was kind of disappointed when I saw that I had to lose both eyes like I I got Mm. to the end I laugh about it now but I remember thinking like this has got to end like you know if I get in a car wreck if I lose my one eyeball, you know, like what could, what could make it go away? Um, and it's, it's just a, a dark and scary place to be when you get to that point where you're thinking like, if anything would happen so that I wouldn't have to go back. Um, and it, it's, I have a great job. And so that made it even harder because it wasn't a place I dreaded being. It was just that internal burnout that felt so bad. Yeah, I think it's an important comment to make that if you're having those dark thoughts, like it's so important to get help. I feel a lot of times that high pressure, it does lead to the suicidal ideation and the very acute decision. It's not a decision, but the action that leads to death by suicide, because we could be thinking, we could be powering through things. And then it takes that one moment of just having enough. Like I was there in that mindset where it just becomes the state of such severe psychic and so making sure like I wasn't immune to it you know I had this interesting circumstance where I was in a coaching I coach um it within an institution and we were having a group meeting and I said what what's the protocol like if a client says that they're feeling they're having suicidal thoughts and we just had finished an annual um commitment or an annual training for suicide awareness so it was on the forefront of my mind, like, what is our protocol? And they said, 
oh, you'll be dealing with, you'll, your clients will all be high functioning. We don't give. And I said, immediately, I said, I'm asking this because this was pertinent to me. And, And so I had to acknowledge it right away to say like, we need to stop that stereotype that a high functioning person isn't at risk. That is the face of risk right there. So make sure that we all have a protocol in our mind, say, I'm feeling a little burnout. Like what are, what is my plan to get help and write it down? Because when we are in that mind of just feeling desperate, we need to have already had a plan for help. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when we have plans for other things and don't have that plan for help, that's a very high risk situation. So not to end on like a dark note, but a very serious note, because, you know, I don't take burnout lightly. Um, and I certainly think there's a place for therapy in it, a huge place for therapy. Um, a lot of people uh, have have said that medication helped them to just take that breath and to get the space they yeah. needed in order to start processing. Um, for me, that there were some vulnerabilities with trying to start medication. So I, I do think it's important to be very connected to a um, mental health trained individual. Yeah. So yeah, thank you, Jillian. We wanted to share some more of our story and our stories. And so I appreciate your honesty and thanks for, thanks for asking me those hard questions too. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. You know, it's, I think just knowing also there's a community, like we are not only talking about burnout, but really trying to process out loud, like, and what, like, what are our next steps? Because sometimes if we just hear about burnout without being given the tools to overcome it, or to feel hope for it, I find that also becomes not a helpful situation. So just knowing like, this could be the time that you recreate a life. And sometimes in healthcare with my credentials, I felt very boxed in to doing something that was meeting my credentials from a very like traditional path. Yeah. And the psychologist gave me options that were outside of my traditional path. And then the group of physicians that have been recovering from their own burnout journeys, they also provided new options to explore. So just always knowing there's so many more options than we give ourselves grace to consider um, and take this as your permission to do so. Yeah, this is your permission slip. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Thanks, Jillian. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks, Jillian. Here's the, I should say Dr. Rieger. Thanks, Dr. Rieger. Here's the take-home points from today's talk. Number one, burnout signs may include apathy, not caring as much about doing a good job, especially if you've always been sort of a perfectionist. Um, You also might have disordered eating or physical complaints like not sleeping, headaches, anxiety. You have to be on the lookout for all of these. Number two, grinding through or showing grit is a societal expectation. Burnout is really your essential self, your inner self, begging you to rest and recover. Number three, in order to take time off, you'll come up against a lot of beliefs and thoughts about not being able to afford to take the time off, whether it's being able to afford the time or afford the money. It's important to dissect these beliefs and see what's true and what's a thought error. Byron Katie has a method called the work that I've linked in the show notes, and it helps you question your thoughts. Number four, identify your support systems, both at work and at home. Is your job a people first type job, or is it all about churning out productivity? 
Number five, use therapists and coaches to help you see other options because when you're in the midst of burnout, your brain can't come up with any viable options to get you over the hump. Number six, consider therapy instead of coaching if you've had trauma or grief and you haven't addressed it. Or you could do it with coaching. Um, Consider coaching if you're functioning, but you want to function better. If you need help figuring out where to go next, like what to do, then um, we teach you tools for forward momentum. Number seven, learning how things feel in your body is huge because it allows you to identify which thoughts are helpful and which thoughts are causing pain. Number eight, our stories about ourselves aren't embedded in reality oftentimes. Like we may feel shame and, and, uh, We may feel shame based on false beliefs, like my belief that, you know, I'll be fired or I'll be perceived as weak if I admit I'm burned out. All right. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for listening. It was so much fun talking to you today. All right, if you are ready to make some major changes in your life, if you're at the point where you are sick and tired of feeling stuck and directionless and you really don't know what to do next or where to go, maybe it's time we had a little chat. So I have it set up on my website. You can schedule a free 30-minute discovery call and we'll sit down and decide if we're a good fit. Maybe you'd prefer group coaching. Maybe you need one-on-one coaching or maybe you just want to talk and and say hello. So go on over to my website. It's coachhopecook.com. That's H-O-P-E-C-O-O-K.com and schedule the free discovery call. And I can't wait to talk to you. So See you next week, and hopefully I'll talk to some of you before that.